Okay, welcome everybody to uh, this episode of uh, Breaking Absolutes. Um, I want to remind folks before we get rolling, uh, if you like what we're doing here, um, follow us, subscribe to the channel. Um, our goal here is to have guests on the show that are um, doing so much inside the rock and metal genre that we feel like it's important to draw attention to their work. Uh, we think it deserves a broader audience, um, not simply because of the musicianship, but we think the music itself um, can and should speak to a larger audience. Um, and so my efforts here to dimensionalize these, these musicians um, to kind of go hopefully deeper into some of the other kinds of things they do in addition to everything we know about them that makes them kind of beloved. Um, so with that in mind, today I get to, uh, to talk to Joel Hoekstra. Uh, and I've got, I think, kind of a fun story about how I found out about this, this guy uh, that I'll tell when we get him on camera so that um, I can embarrass the hell out of him. But before <laughs> we get to that, uh, let me just frame up a little bit for folks who, I know a lot of you will know Joel, but I, I want to um, frame a little bit about the musician um, he is. Um, folks, of course, will know him, I think, from his time with Night Ranger. Um, he's currently a uh, guitarist in White Snake. Um, and, we're, and all of these, by, all, by the way, all of these areas we'll explore in more depth. I just kind of want to give a, a, a broad stroke. He tours with Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Um, I'm going to make sure he keeps me honest, but I believe he's got at least one. He's on one of their records, uh, the most recent uh, Christmas record. Um, he's played with Cher, uh, has toured with Cher. Um, he's also uh, maybe a little bit lesser known um, for some of some of his theater work, at least his early theater work, but he's worked uh, as a working musician in theater, which is really cool. Um, we're going to talk about that. Um, and, he's, you know, as a consequence of the work that he's done across um, theater and as a as a touring musician and as a, a composed composing musician um, where we'll spend a lot of time. He's, you know, he's had appearances on a number of uh, TV programs, The Tonight Show, the metal, that metal show, which is actually where I got to know Joel, which is an, a kind of a funny story. And then uh, literally the, the list is too long of the musicians, named musicians you know that he's collaborated with or played on their records. And we'll talk about some of them. Um, but just to name a few, he's played with Jeff Scott Soto. He's played with Amy Lee. Uh, he's played with Michael Sweet. And there's some forthcoming work there that we want to talk about. Um, He's played on a number of really important tributes. Um, and I think it says something about him as a music musician that he's asked to participate in um, tributes to our most important, you know, early sort of icons and um, folks who broke up or broke out on, on the scene. Um, and then of course, he's got a bunch of solo work. And I spent a bunch of time going deeper into Joel's solo work, which was um, a revelation to me. And I know that sounds, um, like hyperbole, but I I'm going to talk to him about some of his early works, which, which I think, which I think, is criminally under sort of recognized or or shared. So we're going to share it here. Um, so anyway, with that as the setup, let me bring Joel on, and we'll talk to the man himself. Joel, welcome. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, I was grateful to you. You'd you'd uh, spend some time with us. Um, I you know I I spoke with a guy that you you've had on your records, um, Russell Allen recently. And in, in prep for that, I was listening to some of your most re recent Joel's Hulkstra 13 record. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I'm just going to reach out and see if I can, I, if you'd be interested in coming on. So, um, that was the genesis of this, this conversation. Um, but you know, the, the interesting thing about it, um, how I learned about you, I, this was back in the day when you were on that metal show, you were a guest guitarist. 
And um, you came on, you were on a, a show with um, Corey Glover and Vernon Reed and Morgan Rose. And you, you did, you came, you know, he would have you, um, Eddie would have you do some intro and some, some playouts to, to breaks. And you did some really amazing sort of um, uh, tapping, eight finger tapping. But then you came in after one of those breaks and you brought an acoustic guitar. And I fell in love with you as a guitarist with what you did in that, I don't know, 30 seconds. Uh, so I went and looked you up and, I, um, and then I, that opened up to me so much of the rest of your work. And it's something we'll come back to, I think, in, in some of your other work. But um, uh, I, just, I just wanted to, to, to share with the folks that uh, this sort of dimension of you that's beyond just the, I think, what we know about you. Um, and we'll get more into that. So that's my, that's my introduction to Joel Hoekstra, uh, how I got to know you. Um, let, me, let me ask you before we kind of get rolling on some of the music stuff. Um, I, I've been following you. This, this COVID break obviously is a, a bummer in a lot of ways, but you've stayed extraordinarily busy. Is that, a, is that your normal routine or is this, has this been different for you in terms of workload? Um. Yeah, I, well, it's different in terms of what type of work, for sure. It's definitely been, um, for me, a lot of teaching. Like, I've been uh, teaching 32 students a week during this, which I haven't done since oh, I was wow. a younger guy. I taught uh, a lot. That's what kind of, you know, bought me my time in music was to be able to teach guitar and then support it with gigs. And, and uh, so, in a way, I'm kind of back to that right now. Uh, just, you know, different landscape these days you know in this day and age i'm doing it all sitting right here uh but yeah doing that and lots of sessions because everybody's been recording so i got a lot of people that want me to play a solo on their songs or whatever and uh, or fully play all the guitar tracks on their songs that's all good uh so lots of that doing the cameo thing you know that's all been the stuff that's really kind of paid the bills and kind of kept me on my guitar and uh doing the uh whatever you call them these days, virtual jams, collabs. I've done a ton of those during this to just kind of stay out there. And, uh, you know, uh, Ken Tamplin, who I did one for recently, used the term digital presence. It's good to have a strong digital presence. And I thought, you know, that's uh, I like that term. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, I, I was saying it's just to stay out there. Yeah. Uh, do those things and, and people are watching a ton while they're at home I mean some of those videos that I've done uh, are 400,000 views at this point in time and uh, you know more than I got for my songs out for my new album <laughs> yeah. so I mean yeah it's it, I my thing is to just be uh, productive every day and then just see where that takes me um, because that that's how I got to this point. So I'm not really going to change that whole mentality. But I, I definitely believe in working hard to uh, make this happen. All that stuff together, I be, I would say I'm busier than when I tour um, in a lot of ways. But um, it's just been different. It's just a different type of busy. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Um, particularly, I wanted a call back on one uh, one of your comments there around these collaborations. There's a there's a halo effect on some of them because they're often covers. So you're drawing in your fans, but you're also drawing a lot of fans of the cover. Um, and I've watched a bunch of them, and they're smoking. People should check them out. You, um, at the end, Joel, we'll, we'll include a link to your website, which has, a, I think, a pretty strong enumeration of... Um, well, most of them are on there, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're very good. They're all, like, top-notch. And they're so much fun. There's this... Um, in, there's a, it's a professional recording, and you guys are all professional players. But there's also a little bit of... Um, 
I don't know, um, there's a casualness about it, like a, an, um, an, an invitation in it um, because it's from home and you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it, you know, trying to look at the, the silver lining and all this stuff. I mean, that's definitely one of them to be able to work with people who I haven't been able to work with before and do it in a, in a low pressure, if not no pressure environment, because I, you know, working with Arnell from Journey, it's not like I'm trying to get him to put out an album with me and start a band or anything like that, you know, so there's no, yeah, it's not even a commercial release. It's just something for the fans. It's something fun, but it gives us an opportunity to uh, work together for a minute. We've been friends for a long time. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, Arnell, Billy Sheehan on, on that uh, same track and uh, work with Dino uh, Jalusic on a few of these videos who, yeah. you know, Dino, um, I, I go back to TSO with him, but we've never had an opportunity to even tour together. He usually does the West touring band and I do the East. So, uh, you know, work with Dino a little bit on this stuff, Mike Portnoy uh, on a couple of those videos with Dino and um, reconnect with Virgil Donati on one of them. So a lot of people who um, I just feel like working with it. And for me, I think it's great because it just gives everybody an opportunity to do that. And nobody can really say anything. You're not starting a new band. You're not putting out a, you know, I'm not in 85 bands putting out albums. We're just having fun. Uh-huh. So I, I think there's some things that came out of this whole weird era that we're in. I still technically in right now that, um, at least for me, I haven't really begun a real touring yet. So, um, I, 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 try to think of like what are the positives that came out of it that definitely would be one of them yeah nico, nico mcbrain i forgot to mention working with nico on jen majura's uh jam you know so the opportunity to, uh, it's this wouldn't have happened without this current situation everybody would have been on the road and there would have been no way you would have gotten you know people to do these things so yeah i think it's really good cross-pollination because there's you know the usually a bunch of musicians that have a following um, I think it's really healthy for, for, you know, and for the fans to help them stay connected to you guys while you can't be on tour. Yeah. I mean, I come from a different place with that than a lot of the fans. A lot of the fans want to see people be in one band and, you know, it's yeah. the band and, uh, but you know, I think it's a different business these days. Number one, it's almost impossible to work 10, 11 months out of the year with one band. So unless you want musicians to sit around for eight, nine months a year or whatever, you know, it it does take multiple things. And that's before COVID. That's not a COVID thing. It's been that way for a while. Uh, So and also, I think, you know, our fans are older now and they understand. It's like we're not uh, we're not 21 years old, got signed to a big deal and we're taking it as far as we can at this point. We're we're musicians who have made a name for ourselves, uh, playing with various bands. And so. Um, you know, I'm into all that stuff. Now, a lot of, a lot of the fans are not, they wish it was like, you know, and I get that, but it's, it, it just is what it's a product of, of the music business these days. Um, so I, for me, my whole thing is that stay productive and work hard. So whatever Avenue I have that can, um, give me that opportunity to work with my guitar and, and be a productive person and what I'm doing. then that's, you know, for me, that's a positive thing. I can't see a negative in that. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that kind of, um, I thought about this before, this idea that uh, a lot of the fans, so to speak, they become really attached to a particular group um, versus, you know, attached to the musician or the or the various ways that they express their music. And 
it's one of the reasons I like doing the show because I like taking some time to go back and um, look at all the things the musician does. And a guy like you has um, a, a lot of variety. And um, I think it's, I don't know, I'm optimistic that sharing more of the various ways that, that a musician expresses themselves and has to, to frankly kind of earn their way because there's not a lot of them that do that tour for two or three months and then they have plenty of money to just sit around. Um, sharing yeah that. yeah it's been a that's definitely the um i guess the summary of my path right i got out of git and nirvana hit and that was you know it was like a nuclear bomb on any kind of like well you're going to be a, a guitar hero kind of guy or whatever not that i was really even ready for that i was only 19 20 years old at the time and uh pretty green you know so um I think that was the best thing that happened to me in a lot of ways. It set me off on a career of making a living with my guitar however I could to be valuable. So whether that was teaching all those lessons that I did back then in my 20s, I told you I was teaching 70 students a week back then. Oh, wow. um, but um, all kinds of gigs, you know, playing with singer-songwriters and, uh, you know, I did all kinds of things to get through those times, man. Playing in wedding bands and playing classical guitar at parties and playing jazz guitar at parties. And, you know, I mean, just like you name it. So, but that what that did is it made me a more well-rounded musician than, say, a lot of the guys who uh, got a deal when they were 19 years old and were on MTV. And, and then they were just them the rest of their life. I had to really kind of grind the entire way. So it definitely made me more well-rounded and more able to uh, play different styles and things like that. Now, you could make an argument, you know, that uh, the, the guy who was 19 that got signed and stuck to his thing is more identifiable, and that might be the case, you know. Uh, but it's, uh, it is what it is, you know. I, I just like to say I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not... Uh, uh, I guess in need of feeling like uh, my path is the better one. It just is that that's the that's just the path that I had to go. You know, I mean, uh, trust me, I would have preferred the lots of money at 19 years old you know? <laughs> <laughs> on MTV and everything. But in a lot of ways, in the it's the best thing ever happened to me. Yeah, no, I I understand what you're kind of delineating there. There's there's plenty of acts that kind of hit it hard and got big and and um um they, they either choose to stay kind of in that in that track where it's just them and the band and there's a sort of romance that fans have around that um versus guys who either by necessity want to do more or just um because they i know a lot of musicians who they get restless if they don't get to do other things um different kinds of music so it's not always i think just about you know um uh, that they there's only one way to make money um, and I don't know that that's is that way for you, but uh, I think it. I don't know. I, not to set, not to overstate it, but I think it's really uh, healthy for fans to kind of be able to see a guy like you, and and learn more about uh, you. Versus, you know, some people probably only know you as the TSO guy. They, you know, they 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 haven't explored some of your other stuff. Some some may only really know you from White Snake or other things. Um, and so uh, today we're going to spend some time on a lot of Joel Hoekstra, if that's cool with you. Sure. So yeah. much, there's a lot of great music there. Um, before we do, though, uh, um, I just want to dip into your past real quick. I under in my reading, I, I kind of learned that you um, were came from some your parents or, or someone in your family that was like classical influence. Is this right? Yeah, my parents, uh, both of them. So uh, they definitely started me out early on cello and then piano and 
like a lot of little boys, I was just kind of like, hey, man, I just want to play baseball. I don't even like this, what I'm doing, you know. And uh, so I, it really wasn't until I was 11 and heard ACDC and, and saw Angus Young that I was like, hey, I want to play guitar. And I think my parents were like, great. I think they're picturing Segovia or something, you know. And next thing they knew, I had the home stereo fully cranked playing Paranoid and, you know. Uh, anyway, yeah, great fun. You, um... One of the things I read is a real early influence was Angus Young. Um, and I, I think I saw a nod to that in the motion graphic video for your, on, off your most recent record. You had a, a single, right? Um, and there's a, in, in, there's a part, I don't know if that's supposed to, I think it's you because it looks like it's the, the, the character in the, in the video is you. But there's a point where um, you're on your bed and you're playing and there's Angus Young posters. <laughs> Could you tell it was me because of my wings right now? Is that how you knew it was me? <laughs> it's a cool, really cool video. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. So that's like you know based on a true story of the video, you know. Uh, but yeah, I would say definitely seeing Angus Young. Um, uh, but you know, back then it wasn't like guitar players. You didn't talk about that. You're like, I like ACDC. It wasn't even. I don't even know if I knew Angus Young's name at first, you know, I mean, it was just like ACDC, you like the songs, you know, and I loved his whole vibe, his whole like energetic vibe. As a kid, you see that and you're like, I want to, I want to be that, like, that's what I want to do. That dude's the coolest. And, um, so anyway, that, uh, that still holds true. I'm still, still marvel at that guy, man. You know, yeah. it's ama amazing. The, uh, all the years, all the world tours and, um, never seen five seconds of footage of him taking it easy on stage yeah it's like amazing and you know there must be times where he felt like just death you know from travel or whatever you know you're going on it's remarkable that there's never never been a time you look at him and he's just standing there going like oh, when's this gig over you know yeah yeah he's always he always gives it his all um, yeah he always gives it his all it's good uh um okay let's so let's kind of move into you you um, had this classical training, you had this, you know, the parents were bringing you up and, and teaching you a bunch of stuff. You played some cello, then you picked up guitar. Where did you turn the corner where this kind of like, it became more than like a young guy's passion. And like, this is really what I'm going to go do. Yeah. I don't know if that moment ever happened. I think like, as soon as I started learning the rock stuff, it, it happened, you know, like I, there was, I think I just kind of went, well, I guess I'll do this. And, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll, I'll do something else. But I just kind of never stopped. Yeah. So that, so I like to say that was the last career decision I ever made really <laughs> was when I was 11. Cause I mean, it was like, yeah, I like this. I guess I'll do this, you know, and that, that was, that was kind of it. And then just uh, did an awful lot of it. Did you, um, what was the first, what would you, I read through a bunch of your, your your background but what what would you consider like your first like i don't know breakthrough breakthrough um part was it was it when you got into love janice or was there something before that that felt like you'd kind of reached a new altitude with your career all, all of it there's just been a lot of those moments so that's the way it works i think you know at least it did for me where uh you're just constantly taking one small step forward um I always say you don't go from practicing in your parents' basement to being in U2 or something like that, you know, to like, you know, the biggest band in the world. It doesn't really work that way. You're, you have to climb, 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 climb one step of the way. Uh, and, but I would say, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them, you know, uh, joining 
Kathy Richardson's band locally in Chicago it was the first time I was playing like, you know, bigger shows around there and making good money on shows and going like, wow, cool. Like, you know, people actually wanted their picture with me tonight and they wanted my autograph on the CD and you know, it was cool stuff. And then uh, playing with Jim Peterick around there, too. And, and that was uh, really led to me being a Night Ranger. He would have these world stage events where uh, a lot of his friends would come sing their hits. And I, so I got to be in the backup band every one of those. And that was kind of an annual thing, like once a year, maybe twice. And uh, so I got to back up Rick Emmett on that and Don Barnes from 38 Special, Kip Winger, Alan Parsons, Kevin Cronin from REO. I mean, there's a really long list of people that I got to uh, play guitar for in there. And then one of them was Kelly Kagi from Night Ranger. He pretty much was there every year. So we do the Night Ranger stuff. And that eventually led to me getting an opportunity with them. So uh, that was a big a deal for me getting Love Janice because that was the first time I was a full-time performer and stopped teaching. And that was at 30, you know, so it took me all the way to age 30 to be like, wow, I'm just gigging. And, and uh, so doing eight shows a week in New York for those, uh, those couple years, definitely that was big. And then I joined uh, the Turtles and Big Brother and the Holding Company and started doing fly dates and tour. Like, and that was the first time I'd really kind of gone around on a regular basis. Like, oh, I'm going to this city, I'm going to this city. And uh, anyway, that was a big deal to me in its own way. And uh, definitely joining um, Scrap Metal, uh, Kelly kind of was a part of as well. And that also really helped me get into Night Ranger. So I was playing with him and the Nelson Twins and Mark Slaughter in that band. And um, and then that really led to Night Ranger, which certainly that was a that was a big one in terms of like change in life. And um, yeah, everything. It's just been like that the entire way, man. You know, you could follow that all the way to where I am today. It's just kind of been like one thing after another where it feels like the next step. Yeah. Well, you know, I... I'm, I don't know if I want to use the phrase, but there's this um, there's this journeyman like um, work ethic in you where you just, uh, you know, I, I and I, I read about this as, as I was getting to know you better through some of your other interviews and stuff. But there's um, and it's not which isn't to say, by the way, that that all musicians or many musicians don't work hard. But um, man, there was there was just this persistence in your career, like you've earned everything that you've gotten, in my view. Like, you know, you're, yes, you're, you're now with some of the very biggest bands on the planet. Um, but there, uh, you know, it wasn't an overnight success. Um, but that's to your credit, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I would say all of it kind of came from moments where you'd, uh, you'd go like, why would you ever do that? And that's like every opportunity happened from doing things like in Jim's band and Peter expand where I mentioned doing the world stage thing, I would learn 36, 37 songs to, f even when I was still in New York doing Love Janice, to fly back and do those world stage shows on no rehearsal. So I'd have to memorize, I was playing eight shows a week in Love Janice and I'd get home every night and I'd run the 36 songs, which is like good three hours or something like that of at least without rewinding or, you know, anything like that. Uh, for weeks before I'd go in and do that. And that, I mean, I can't even imagine what I was making an hour at that point, you know, and it's not that, not that Jim didn't pay well, but it's like, it is what it is when you do things like that. I mean, I was probably making 25 cents an hour or something like that to do, to do that. It's ridiculous, you know, yeah. uh, by the time you're all said and done. So, but that led to my opportunity in Night Ranger. So that, um, 
you know, getting Rock of Ages happened from subbing on pit stuff around New York here, where I'd spend three weeks getting a whole book down to go in and maybe sub and make, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Um, weeks of work to same, same type of deal where you go like, oh, I must have been making like 50 cents an hour to, for that. <laughs> stuff like that where you're like, why would you ever subject yourself to that? But that's, you do it for the opportunities and to kind of build a forward. And I mean, I'm still that way when it comes to work. It's definitely, uh, I think, uh, important to get paid when you work, but it's more important to work, you know? Like if you don't have anything going on, that's my advice to everybody when people are like, you know, how did you get where you go? And it's like, well, you just start working and when you're busy enough, then people have to pay you because you have other things you need to do. Yeah. If somebody starts to pay you because you're doing this, well, then they need to either pay you more or you need to do that. It's not, you're not just like sitting on the couch going, no, I don't want to do that. It doesn't pay enough. And then like watching TV, it's like, I couldn't really think of like anything better I had to do in my life than work at that stuff. So I did it. Um, and that it definitely paid off without a doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, when you, when you, uh, were in Unite Ranger, you were, you were in, um, with Reb Beach for a while, right? And then no, Reb was uh, doing the gig. Uh, so they parted ways with Jeff Watson, and Reb did the gig for I'd say a little over a year, maybe two years with them, a year and a half, something like that. And uh, I basically the first time I filled in with them was filling in for Reb, because oh, okay. Reb was doing it but needed to miss a show. And uh, they said that Kelly went to the band, they were maybe going to have to cancel this show. And Kelly said, you know, I know this guy that plays a Peterick, plays our stuff. He can do the eight finger thing. He learns like 36 songs for Jim's set and comes in on no rehearsal and plays the gig down. We don't need to rehearse them. We don't need to just show up. And, and oh, so man. that was my, my, uh, my audition. <laughs> uh, uh, well, <laughs> was a, was a gig. You know, for the, I, we have a lot of um, aspiring musicians that listen to the channel and, and to the podcast. And um, I, not that maybe this hasn't been said before, but you, you do all of this, this work for opportunities you're talking about. You, you created the reputation. You just described it. On reputation, someone knew that, that they could have you come do the gig and have confidence that it would go well. Um, you know, that's, um, that's really important. Uh, uh, putting in the time and and um so it paid it paid dividends it, it was a slow burn what do they call it delayed gratification <laughs> something like that uh but in any case so so but then from there uh, I, maybe i'm trying to draw like correlations that don't that aren't real but um reb went over to white snake you went with white snake was that was did he help bridge that gap or was that still a separate sort of jump no, a separate jump. Reb was in Whitesnake when he did the year or so with Night Ranger. I think that Whitesnake, David took some time off or like one year off or something like that. Uh, and so that was Reb going to them and going like, hey, I can do it. I'm not, Whitesnake's not doing anything this year, that kind of thing. And they, they knew. And when I filled in for Reb, they were saying that, oh, he's going to have to go back to Whitesnake. And so when I joined at that point, I, I was with them seven years. So me joining Whitesnake was long after that. Like I was seven years with Night Ranger. And then Reb still was with Whitesnake that entire time. He's the longest standing member of Whitesnake ever, Reb Beach is. <laughs> 
a lot of people don't uh, make uh, think of Red Beach as the very first, you know, like band member of White Snake to come to mind. But he he should be really. I mean, he's yeah. been with he's been with the band longer than anybody. Um, anyway, uh, I can see the blabbermouth quote now on that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, so Reb was um, in Weissank for a while, and I did, when I, when I heard that Doug was leaving or left, and uh, I sent some video links to Reb and asked him if he could uh, get him to David, and he did, and I didn't hear anything at first, and then I, I just kind of still kind of had the, I, I guess part of me went like, well, surely I can at least get an audition, you know? Yeah. I just went like, come on now. You're going to tell me I can't get an audition. So uh, I, I thought, who knows Dave? Who would know David that he would listen to? And I happened to think about Phil Carson because, um, you know, I had filled in for Mick Jones and Foreigner and right. 2011. Phil manages Foreigner and Dee Snyder. So Dee Snyder was around Rock of Ages. He was in Rock of Ages, right? So Phil was around. We knew each other. I filled in in Foreigner on very short notice um, and did a good job for them. And so he recommended uh, me to David and said, you should give this guy a shot. And that really was what got me in the door and got me the audition. Um, I think coupled with the fact that Reb, you know, had good things to say as well. I, I think sure. if Reb was like, don't know, no, no, then <laughs> David probably would have listened to him. <laughs> so anyway, I got, I got in there, got an audition and, and things went really well. Uh, I've always gotten along with David from the, the moment we met, you know, he's like got on great. Um, and uh, the audition went really well and got the opportunity. And so now it's been seven years with Whitesnake, amazingly. Right. So time, time flies. Yeah. Well, I think you're kind of reaching that point where, um, you know, in the same way you talk about Reb being maybe deserving to be identified as a, as a white snake sort of hallmark. I think you've reached that. Um, at least that that's my opinion and perception. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not really deserving of that. I mean, it's, uh, it's great to be a tiny part of the band's history. And I'm, I'm joking in saying that because, you know, there's, no, I can I, hear a, about Reb because I can hear the people going, what about Sykes? You know, he wrote all the hit songs and that's totally, you know, it's 100% oh, true. I'm just making a point that Reb has been with the band longer than anybody, which is kind of, you know, people don't realize that sometimes. Um, but well, anyway. I, you don't, like you're, you're, you're uh, I appreciate the humility and on all that, but but as a fan, I think I, uh, I can say, like, I love John Sykes. I love that era. I was, you know, part of my sort of... Com yeah, I, I, that's what I grew up on, man. I grew up yeah. on that that era of Whitesnake, of Sykes and Vi. And, you know, yeah. that's so, of course, you know, I, I could never, uh, you know, th those guys were there at the peak of it. And, um, you know, I, I just treat it professionally, man, and do the best I can with everything, you know, uh, that that's all. And that's, I think that's what David wants at this point. He doesn't want you know, guys ego tripping and, and, sure. you know, the, this is my, my band kind of vibe and all that right. craziness, you know, it's like, I just got, you know, like to go in there and uh, have a good time as does David and work the best I can and uh, do the best job I can. That's, that's how I approach it. I just approach it professionally, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, here's what I think. I think that, that, that because you take that approach, these sort of, um, the humility that sort of because you still show up with great showmanship and you are, you know, you've, you've got the chops, but it, it kind of comes through. Uh, I mean, so when you see a white snake, sh white snake show now, um, you know, even at least this is my experience, even though I was there when Sykes was playing and, and it was all great. Um, there's a, there's a chemistry and a, something really cool about what the show you guys put on now and, and the, the music you're making now. And I, um, 
you know, and I'll defend that to anybody. Uh, and and one of the things I wanted to bring up is is on the most, I think the most recent record, you've got some songwriting credits. I think there's six or seven tracks that you you helped write. Am I accurate there? Yeah, and then there there was a song that ended up on the rock album that was uh, an outtake from it as well. So yeah, I got eight co-writes with David, and uh, you know I was thrilled that he included me in that, and uh, that's you know, super, super cool of them yeah. and, and really nice. And so, um, it, you know, it was a lot like the rest of our interactions. It went really well, just kind of, you know, we had fun quick. David writes real fast. Yeah. Um, so There's it, a track. It, it went really well. Now, I think I, I'd been in the band now for four years or something like that, three, four years by the time we got down to doing that. So it was, by then we knew each other. It would have been a sure. little scary to like join the band and be like the next day I'm doing that with them. Yeah. Um, but I felt like we totally knew each other. So if there was something I did that he didn't dig, you know, there was no, I, I he didn't have to say like, you know, act like he liked it or anything like that. He'd just be like, no, not that one. And he'd go <laughs> laugh and go, okay, cool. And how about this? And, you know, so uh, clear lines of communication. That's always... The, the best way to go with that that kind of stuff right and, and he's he's great with that and he's a very positive guy he's really good at um you know just make a spreading positive energy within the camp and within yeah. people you know when you hang with david it always feels positive it, it never feels negative yeah well i want to um <clears throat> do want to give a shout out that one of the one of the tracks on that which is might have a little bit of a different sound for white snake but it's called after all it's kind of an acoustic number and man that is an amazing song, dude. Like that's uh, that's so that's the the as odd as it may be, that's the first thing that I co-wrote with David because and I never in my life would have pictured. It shows how weird the music business can be sometimes because uh, he was putting out Unzipped, uh, the acoustic compilation, and he had me out doing some of that stuff, and we he showed me his idea on that, and I. I think I wrote like the intro and the the instrumental section and maybe the B section to it. I can't remember offhand, but a, a couple of the sections basically, right? Yeah. And uh, just the bed, not the not the singing and the the lyrics. Um, and but I just thought, I I think at that point he was like, "That's really cool. I want to put that on the the next album instead of this." And I went like, "Okay, really? Wow. Okay, that's <laughs> awesome." But it just shows like you know. I mean, that's uh, kind of a Beatles-y finger style piece that David had, really. David writes on this little nylon string, right? And he plays oh, like this. Okay. So he says, I have this idea. And I could tell what he was um, approximating out with the, the finger style. So it's all emulating him, really. Yeah. And uh, I, anyway, just just funny how that is sometimes. Like, you know, people picture oh, the first thing you wrote with David is going to be this thundering still of the night kind of thing or something, right? And it's like, that was actually this like Beatles-y finger style acoustic thing. So, I mean, you just never know, man. You never know the way things are going to go. But, you know, you obviously look at it all like a blessing, right? I mean, it's like, hey, that's amazing. I got to... And, and obviously, a lot of the stuff we did uh, come together on on the album was was rock it's stuff. A, you know, it's but. a yeah, it's and it's a great album. It, um, it really is. It's really strong. That that track just surprised me a little bit. And um, you guys, I mean, the chemistry you came together. If you were both sort of contributing to it, it's a uh, man. It's uh, it, I don't know. It just stuck with me, and I wanted to I wanted to give you some props for part of the um, the writing on that particular tune. Cool. Thanks, uh, man. The, so I, we, we've heard some about sort of farewell tour. Um, is there any, um, is it too soon to know anything about a White Snake tour? Yes. 
<laughs> I think the only I think the only thing that's online is the Hellfest date, and that's yeah, the exactly. only and, and that that's pretty much in the when you're in the band, you basically know what you guys know, okay. and uh, so. But you know, we talk with David every day. We he texts us every day. There's a, a good uh, keeping in touch. We just don't discuss that stuff until it's like the proper time. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I know he's been eyeing. Uh, um, doing a farewell tour and, and been keeping his fingers crossed on being able to do so with everything that we've been dealing with the last uh, year and a yeah, half or yeah. so. So, uh, you know, continue. I just, I, I just keep saying fingers crossed all the time, man. I'm hoping to get back out there and, uh, you know, uh, just enjoy all the guys in the lineup, man. You know, we've been together now, th that lineup, the whole time that I've been in the band. So uh, as much as people joke about turnover and Whitesnake, we've had the same lineup now for seven years um, with me in the band. So, you know, we, we got a cool little, uh, we got a, I guess, cool chemistry because you got guys like Tommy Aldridge who are like David, that rock royalty kind of thing where he's, yeah. you know, obviously you know, played with Ozzy in the heyday and it's, uh, and then you got guys like myself who are just kind of like worked their way into the gig and, <laughs> and super happy to be there. And so we, we come from all different places, man, but we all get along and we got a cool, um, we got a cool vibe in that camp. I don't, you know, I'm of the opinion, I don't think it does any disservice to, um, years past or players past for you know, for there to be this cool chemistry and for White Snake to have this incarnation that's still writing great songs and still, I think, doing credit to, you know, songs that many of us grew up. Um, so all, more, well, all the more power to you guys. I look forward to seeing you on tour when that thing finally can come around. Um, as, and speaking of that, like one of, the, one of the big places you spend some time each year for at least two or three months is with TSO. Um, there's been a, no announcements about that. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I was talking to Russell the other day on the show, and he told me this story. I think he was with Jeff Scott Soto, and they were watching you, and they, they saw you performing. And uh, Russ told me, he, he leaned over, he said, man, that guy belongs in TSO. He's had the presence and had the chops. Um, so it made, me, it made me start to think, and I couldn't find the answer to this, is how, how that particular gig landed, you know, how, how you landed that gig. Um, no, I mean, I was, I was in TSO, I'd say for four years before Russ came in. I said, uh, talking I, about? I have to go back. I, uh, I joined in 2010. So Alex Skolnick, uh, was the guitar, regular guitar player with Chris Caffrey out East. And then Alex, um, I believe got, he wanted to take his jazz trio out. They got, um, a tour that was somebody, I forget who it was now off, off the top of my Head, but they, he was going to head out with that, and so that led to at least a one-year opening in it. And um, I just auditioned. You know, I had a couple friends in the band put my name forward, and I auditioned with Al Petrelli first, uh, who's the music director, and then uh, with Paul O'Neill, uh, who's obviously the founder, creator, and um, you know, mastermind. Uh, rest in peace, Paul. And uh, they were both kind enough to uh, give me the thumbs up and, and give me the gig. And that was that for me, that was uh, amazing at the time. But it was also something that was a little like uh, troubling because I had I had joined Night Ranger in 2008 and then I got Rock of Ages added in 2008. Now that those two worked together because I could sub out a Rock of Ages whenever I needed to um, on Broadway to go play with Night Ranger. But now when you get TSO, you go, hey man, that's two months out of the year where I got a sub out of Night Ranger. Uh, so yeah. like, you know, what's gonna happen there? And so um, 
you know, thankfully the universe has a way of making all these things work out. You know, Carrie uh, Kelly was usually coming in for me uh, in November, December. And so when I left the band, that was the natural progression to have Carrie come into um, Night Ranger. So, um, you know, it's just funny how these things just kind of, they all, they all work themselves out. You know, it's like, it feels terrifying at the time. It's like, oh my God, I got to do that. And, you know, those guys are going to kill me. And, you know, but they were cool. And uh, I was able to juggle all three of those, I'd say Rock, Rock of Ages, uh, Night Ranger and TSO 2010 through 2014 until I joined Whitesnake. Um, and so for a while there, it was Rock of Ages, um, TSO and Whitesnake. And then uh, Rock, Rock of Ages closed and it became TSO and Whitesnake. And then I added Cher when David took a year off for knee surgery. So it's kind of the same deal as Reb going in and uh, joining Night Ranger for that year, except that my share experiment lasted like a few years, I would say. Yeah. You know, but, uh, like, like it was supposed to be just a few gigs and it, it actually it turned out to be much more. So uh, anyway, yeah. That... I think I, I think I had the, the my, my thing backwards. I think when Russ saw you, he thought, it was not TSO. He thought, man, that guy would be great in Whitesnake. I think that's what he's told me. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. No, it was just a flavor. It was just a little bit of flavor. Um, that would make sense because I was in Night Ranger when Russ joined. When Russ joined TSO, I was in Night Ranger. So and you guys have would... always been together on the East Coast tour, right? Since, yeah. Since he yeah. Joined. Yeah. Russ, Russ came into the East Band, and that's really how we hooked up for my first album with him. That the what I call Joel Hooksters 13, the uh, which is just I call it that because it doesn't sound like a guitar player solo album. It doesn't sound like an instrumental album. Yeah. And I'm not singing. It kind of sounds more or less like a band when you listen to that stuff. So I wanted to give it a project name, but also make it something that clearly showed it's my thing. So hence the name Joel Hoekstra's 13, uh, the eternal confusion over the name. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's the name of the project. And then the albums have been named Dying to Live and Running Games, which just came out earlier this year. And I'm, I'm going to get to those, but if, if, if you'll... Uh... Permit me, before we do, I'd like to talk about your first three records, your solo records, just a little bit. Sure. Um, so um, Undefined, which came out in 2000, as I see, um, it's got some like really cool jazzy, funky, bluesy flavors to it. It's an instrumental record. Um, the Did you have like a, any sort of proclivity or love for like progressive music early on? Because even in The Moon is Falling, uh, like... I'm a big Dream Theater fan, and there's sections of that that I just know Dream Theater fans would love if they could hear it or have heard it. Yeah, a lot of that came from my influence from one of my early teachers, T.J. Helmrich, and uh, he had uh, a partner that they put out a couple albums together with named uh, Brett Garsid, and those guys are both amazing players and good friends of mine, and uh, because of their influence, you know, definitely very influenced by the... Um, I'd say fusion, rock fusion scene. Yeah. And uh, the, the TJ had the job uh, heading the recording uh, department at Musicians Institute. So he was able to help me with recording those albums as well. So what happened, that, uh, he was instrumental in a lot of that stuff happening. I mean, Undefined and The Moon is Falling, because not only could he help me out with recording the stuff and mixing the stuff for me, um, you know, on an SSL and like a real deal studio, but 
also the connection with the the musicians with Virgil Donati and Rick Fiorabracci because they were backing him and Brett up on some live well a live show when I was out in LA and I got to sit at their rehearsals and jam with those guys a bit and I think Brett couldn't even make he couldn't make sound check for the gig and I had to do sound check for him and knew some of their stuff and so um, that was basically when Virgil and Rick said you know you sound great if you ever have anything you want me to want us to record and then I thought uh, wow, I should really do that. You know, I was doing like local gigs in Chicago and I just seemed to, sorry, I've got some stupid <laughs> update thing popping uh -oh. up on my screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh -oh. Windows. So, yeah. I mean, geez. Uh, anyway, uh, leave me alone. Uh, so where was I with all that? Yeah. So I, I thought, you know, I should probably do that. And so, uh, and TJ said, you absolutely should dumbass. So, uh, I, anyway, I took, whatever musical ideas I had at the time, which on Undefined, some of that is I was playing in a residency in an acid jazz band, kind of funky. Oh, wow. And so I just, whatever I had at the time, I just laid down and thought, let's just do it. I, I didn't um, have a lot of the odd meter stuff that Virgil is known for playing or anything like that. So it's one of the few albums you can actually hear Virgil playing 4-4 time, basically the entire album. It's amazing. <laughs> uh and those don't know Virgil. I mean, he's insane. The guy has—he's uh, more proficient on the drums than just about anybody on any instrument on the planet. I mean, he's just insane. So uh, anyway, getting to do the record with those guys was was awesome. And then the moon is falling. I followed up, kind of going more along the lines of what I thought people would expect from Virgil. Uh, more odd meter stuff, a little bit heavier, but lots of weird sounds on that one. I, I went less with the funky stuff and more with the, like, let's rock with weird sounds, not the standard, like, you know, seven string, like lots of distortion kind of instrumental guy. I was trying to go with uh, something that was different and uh, not sure if I achieved that, but I think it's it's aged pretty well. You can listen to that album and it's, uh, even though it was out in 2003, it doesn't sound like, oh, my God, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, it dated or anything like that. It's uh, it sounds still just kind of weird when you listen to it. I think they both age really well. I listened to them uh, just in the past couple of days. Uh, and I, I, I'm recommending folks who hear this who maybe haven't explored back far enough to, to get into some of your solo records to do it. Um, really... <laughs> yeah, they, they won't listen to it, man. Trust me, I've tried. I, I've, I've been through the I've been through the many, many phases of going, maybe I'll post a song every day uh, uh, from those records on YouTube and I'll see them get like 12 likes. And then, you know, I'll post like a snippet of me playing Still of the Night and I'll get like, you know, Million, yeah. 1,500 likes on Facebook. And it's like, yeah, okay, nobody cares about that, the old instrumental stuff for sure. Um, but it's all good, man. You know, it's, uh, I look at it like it's all part of the legacy and part of the story. It's not trying yeah. to, um, be anything other than just what my path was getting here. Well, you know, there, there are definitely people who dig that kind of music. So if we can, if anything we do helps get it to them, uh, I think I, I will feel good about that. <laughs> your third, your third record is acoustic tunes. Um, I fell in love with this record. Um, 13 acoustic songs. Um, you know, I was a big, there was a bunch of the artists from the Wyndham Hills um, uh, label that did, it was kind of called New Age, but some of it was just really beautiful instrumental music. And some of what you did there really reminded me of it. Um, I don't know how your fans who just love you for the big metal stuff have heard this record, but it's really good. Um, so around that era, I think, you know, the shred thing was kind of really, really dead. 
and I was doing a lot of writing with people in town here and just trying to find ways to keep getting better on guitar without it being, you know, sweeping arpeggios or tapping and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of that stuff is just me on my acoustic guitar, like hanging out at home and writing stuff, you know, get putting myself in an alternate tuning and writing a song in it. And, um, and then basically I just got to a point where I had a lot of it and I thought, you know, I should really record it uh, and just make an album out of this stuff so it's at least documented. And that's all that really is. I never really pushed that album and it was kind of a weird album because it's kind of uh, almost, I guess, what people would describe as easy listening, you know, um, which is uh, kind of an odd thing to think about from the guitar player in Whitesnake, you know. But the... Uh, I just felt like it needed to be like recorded because it was what I was playing at the time. And so I recorded the passes of the, you know, me playing the pieces and then I overdubbed on top of it. So, you know, you got percussion on there and a bass and a mandolin or whatever. I decided to overdub with on there um, at various times. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like it, man. And I still actually, oddly enough, play that stuff on the Monsters of Rock cruise during my, uh, during my hangover jam every year. That's uh, the set kind of begins with a few of those while everybody's starting to have their free bloody Marys uh, courtesy of me. And, uh, and then once everybody's drunk, I bring Russell up and we rock, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, anyway, yeah, it's, uh, Uh, I think it's a cool, I think it's a cool side of you. I'm glad that you documented those, those songs. Um, because you know, as much as you're celebrated for, you know, being an axe slinger and a shredder in other ways. And we're about to just talk about some of that stuff on uh, your, your Joel Hulkster's 13. Um, this is a, this is a, a, a you know, it's a beautiful side of you. And I don't mean that to sound maudlin. Um, it's, <laughs> they're, 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 you know, I, I said the same thing to, um, uh, to Jordan Rudess the other day. He did a record just like this. It's just piano stylings, just, and it's really soft and just beautiful. There's no attempt to try and flash you with, with an arpeggio. Um, or some big run. Uh, and I just, I think it's really great. I'm glad that, I'm glad we got that music from you. But now let's talk about the most recent stuff. Um, so uh, over the past, I guess, six years, you've got two records under Joel Holkstra's 13. Um, you mentioned them before, um, Dying to Live and Running Games. Um, for folks who don't know, like this is almost a who's who, that you've got such great players who wanted to participate. Some of them were your TSO family, it looks like. Um, yeah. Russell and then Chloe, uh, Jeff Scott Soto. So yeah, there's some, there's definitely TSOs represented. (laughs) Sorry, Adam and Kenny. (laughs) I'm apologizing to management. (laughs) Well, it's, uh, these are, um, I think they've been described as classic, described as classic rock or classic hard rock. Uh, And that's true. Um, but it, and uh, there's a quote I saw somewhere, but with, with 20, 20th century muscle or something. And that, that helps explain it. Um, the music is really, yes, it, it harkens back to a lot of that stuff we loved from the seventies and eighties, but it's got a heart all its own. Um, and I did the same thing. I listened through, I had heard a bunch of this stuff cause um, uh, you have a guy I think that did your, your motion graphic video, who is a, is a common friend. And, and he had, when he, when he was putting it together, he, he let me see it. And um, so I, I'd heard, I'd heard some of this record. But I went back and started listening to it. Man, it just scratches every itch you have from that era that, that we grew up loving music. Um, and so I wanted to talk about some of this um, as you know, as the last our last segment here before I let you go. Um, and maybe let's go to Running Games because this this is most recent. Um, actually, this this record released officially earlier this year, right? Yeah, January. Yeah. 
Yeah. I believe, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully I have that right. Well, um, and before we get to the music, um, one of the things that I, I kind of struck me is that as much as there's all of the, the, the bombast and the, and the, uh, the great musicianship um, and the sort of the thrill of a really great heavy rock band, um, there's there on your own website, you talk about like, you know, some thematically you, you the lyrics do kind of matter to you. You kind of are addressing some things, not necessarily to, to, to be specifically profound, but they're not throwaway lyrics. You're not just making sure there's a rhyme. Uh, well, I mean, for me, the, the, the albums, they, there was a need for them, right? Because I, I, I was, here I am doing all this stuff, like being in Night Ranger and Whitesnake and, and TSO and even Rock of Ages and people are buying my solo albums and you can see why they would be like, um, do you, you have any rock solo albums? You know, when you like Undefined or my acoustic CD and, yeah. you know, so all that stuff was kind of like, how come you don't have any solo albums like that? That's just rock stuff. And I always did want to do that anyway. I mean, I always thought I'll definitely do a few like, you know, just classic rock albums, but I, I come from a standpoint on it more like this is, um, like the the songs that I would have wanted to listen to in the 80s more than like check out my guitar playing still it's not really um so for me uh the guitar player uh, the guitar solos remain kind of you know decent length it's not like you know uh overplaying and and three minute guitar solos and all that stuff and again that's why I gave it the project name but for me this was an opportunity to have the opportunity to write everything when you're a part of some of the bigger bands um, of course, you know, I'm not going to go into Night Ranger when I'm in that band and go like, hey, guys, I've got the album all written. You know, you, get, <laughs> you guys have seen the movie Rockstar. You know how that works out, right? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you know, and, and that's no critique on them. But whatever, a bit, whatever those bands allow you to do, you're lucky because they spent 30 years or whatever building their brand name. So, you know, that's all uh, it's all good on my end with that. It's definitely not a complaint, but uh, it's fun to be able to uh, be the person who writes the sing the melody, what the singer will sing, and the lyrics and everything, on, yeah. which is what I do on these albums. So uh, for me, that's really great. And also, I get to be the person to call the shots on the mix and um, and the way it should sound and and really yeah. produce it. So. Uh, I guess uh, in that regard, that's that's what it's about for me more than a, you know, the the shred thing. So yeah, you're talking about the lyrics, but it's it's kind of everything song related for me. That's what it's about having the opportunity yeah. to just put out like a couple good rock albums, man. You know, and yeah. like not trying to be progressive on them at all. Like no odd time signatures, really. Maybe like you know one tiny one here or there or something by accident, but. There's really no um, trying to be progressive and and uh, not not trying to shred everybody's face off on them either. It's just like you know, like what did we grow up listening to? We grow yeah, up yeah. So, so let me do like a version of that, but for 2021. Yeah, well you you achieve that in spades. What I love about the records is, um, kind of in every position you have these great musicians and you put these these um, compositions together, and there's care. It, I feel like you can kind of hear the care in, in, you know, in each discipline. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you're, do you literally do the drum programming and all of that? Or is it, do you leave a little bit of latitude to your players? No, as far as I leave a lot of latitude for the players actually. So that's where it gets fun for them. And that's where, you know, you prove that you're <laughs> uh, 
somebody who's actually done sessions yourself by just letting people do whatever the hell they want. So yeah. I basically track the scratch guitars uh, to a click. And then um, I'll usually for Vinnie Apice and Tony Franklin, they'll hear me on guitar playing what the singer's going to sing as well. Okay. And then once, once I get their tracks back, that's when I'll actually write all the lyrics. There'll typically be a chorus I'll have lyrics for for each one. But then I'll write all the lyrics to those melodies uh, and sing a guide vocal for Russell. And that's what Russell hears. Russell hears me singing the album, and then he just sings it a whole lot better than I would. Um, so, but in terms of like, if there's something that Russ wants to tweak, if he wants to change, you know, they can totally do that. And Vinny, basically, I don't tell Vinny anything. I mean, he could just play whatever he wants. That's what makes people interested in doing it. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I just, you, you hire good players and just let them do their thing. Yeah. Uh, but the songs themselves, like, you know, the, the melodies and the, the chord changes or riffs and the lyrics, that's all coming from me. But how people uh, perform them, that's, you know, hey, man, you know, just get good players. Well, we, uh, you know, with, given all of your other commitments, will we ever get to see that on stage or on any sort of tour? We did play a gig on the Monsters of Rock Cruise in support of Dying to Live. Um, and now with running games, it seems that people, even more people are interested in it. So, um, you know, once we get things open enough to have it make any kind of sense, um, I'll give it a go. Uh, it's going to be interesting because everybody's going to want to get out at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's going <laughs> to over this next year. So it, we'll see. But I would definitely love to do that, and uh, I still love to do another one of the albums as well. So I think people can look forward to another. Yeah, I think they were really well received. Um, um, your record label, I think has built a, a lot of, um, credibility for putting out, you know, records generally in that genre. Um, I, I hope they supported you well with this because it's, it's, they're both really, really, really good records. Um, on the last record, the, the, I don't know why, maybe it's just the headspace I've been in, but the, the song that I love the title track to running games. I love the sort of Spanish guitar thing. Um, the sort of the percussion, which is like all kinds of percussion. It's, it's, you know, not big drum fills. There's nice cello, cello stylings you've got in there. I think you use the cello player from Evanescence or. Um, yeah, my friend Dave Egger. Uh, so he played on my acoustic CD that you mentioned a while back. And um, then, so Dave and I have been friends ever since. And then he, uh, because he plays with so many of the pop and rock bands and, and does their arrangements and their stuff. He, he really ended up doing a lot of work with Amy Lee from Evanescence. So That's I got, um, I, he luckily like suggested me to her to come in and play on a song on her. Um, it was for a movie soundtrack, but it ended up on her solo album as well. So that's where I got to meet Amy and she's just great. She's so cool. She's such a nice, uh, nice lady, woman, whatever I'm supposed to say, I'm looking for the proper term, but she's, <laughs> but she's, I feel like chick is derogatory. I don't want to say chick and, but yeah. she's, she's awesome. And, uh, that the whole band Evanescence, those, those guys are all great. I love Jen too, their guitar player. She's just such a, you know, positive person. And, uh, we, we've become friends and, uh, Will, their drummer is awesome. And so, yeah, I got, I have a good friendship with those guys. I went to one of their shows, um, when we had a day off, I think in Indianapolis and I uh, was able to go and, and they treated me like a million bucks. They had me back and treated me like I was a member of the band. And I just felt, you know, it's like, wow, these guys are just class, you know, so nice. And, um, 
But yeah, to get back to, to Frontiers, they, they did a, Frontiers does a great job, uh, I think, of getting, getting it all out there. They have a great, uh, they have a great network like lined up ready to roll because they've done so much of it releasing records in in our genre so i think that yeah. they um you know they do a good job nick uh nick teeter does a, a great job with the marketing and uh you know I, I i go way back with those guys i mean i, I go back to um the night ranger albums i was a part of with them so i've been friends with um serafino and mario there since 2011 so we go back we have now we've been working together 10 years basically so um but yeah they do a great job of getting it out there so props to those guys um for sure um and yeah well these these records for folks who are are with us these these last two albums that joel's put together um they're, I mean, they really are good. Um, I don't use a hyperbole um, when I'm talking about them. They're, if you if you dig uh, 70s and 80s, really good heavy rock, um, There's it, it, it fires on all pistons, um, uh, which was what I was trying to articulate before with all the various disciplines. He's got these great players. He's written these great songs. Um, people who know me know that uh, lyric, lyrical content matters to me. And we don't have time to get into it, but it's not throwaway here, even though they're delivered in the context of really cool um, rock songs. Um, there's there's some meat inside the lyrical content, which I think is cool. Um, so props there, because that's just a, that's a bias of mine. <laughs> um, the the last thing I want to mention is uh, you, you've been in a couple of these these uh, shred compilations. Um, they're linked to from your website so folks will be able to get to them. And I wanted to tell you that everybody on those are they're consummate players one of the things that i like about your playing is in addition to having the facility to move all over the neck and do all the things you have the um you have a way of phrasing and giving a melody like or a, a solo kind of a shape um and even when i was watching in fact i was watching them earlier today those solo compilations for me your solo section just they really kind of rise apart um they're so good uh and i think this is one of the things um uh, maybe I, that I wanted to be sure that I, I got a chance to tell you is that, um, you know, I know that you, people know you for having the showmanship and having um, a lot of facility on the, re on the, on the instrument. Uh, but there's a musicality to your playing that I think is the reason why people want to have you involved. Um, I'm going to encourage people to go to your site and look at just the sheer number of musicians that have that, just like you've said during COVID have said, you know, they want you to come and, and guest. Um, it's a it's a credit to your playing. I mean, I um I don't know. You're um I'm, I'm very happy that you do what you do, so we get to partake of it. Um, oh well, hey man, thank you so much. Um, yeah, that you know, I guess a couple of those. Uh, my friend Kate Devin asked me to do a couple of those and yeah. uh, those shred compilations and. Uh, they're for charity, I think. They uh, yeah, I mean, that. so I've never done one of those before. And it's astounding to me that there's this whole scene out there that being, you know, I, I'm like the old guy on there, you know what I mean? They're like, oh, here comes grandpa coming in. You know, it's like all these young guys who are amazingly technical um, and, and have a following in their own yeah. way with that stuff. It's crazy, like the amount of people that, uh, view those and yeah. um, 
So that that's like a whole scene, and I wasn't even aware of that. So I look at that like it's cool just from the standpoint of that I could hang with them because I haven't really been uh, barking up that tree for a while. So uh, for me to be able to even get in there and not get totally embarrassed is uh, oh, <laughs> I consider it cool, man. You know, uh, I just and I honestly like the first one because I didn't I you know, when you do those, it's like a, a track and you just do a solo. You don't hear like what all the other soloists are doing or see them. And so, you know, you don't know what to expect. And, but I have to admit that first one I watched, some of those guys were, I, I was like, I, I mean, it's amazing the technique that's out there in this world nowadays, man. It's, it's amazing that YouTube can bring that stuff to us and see the way some of these younger guys are playing uh, coming up. It's awesome. You know, I mean, I think it, it's great. Whatever, whatever keeps people uh, interested in music and playing it, I always think is a positive, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's real easy to critique um, all, all these current outlets, you know, say like the vocal shows, like the voice or American, American idol or something like that. But the silver lining to that, once again, just like this COVID stuff, you try and find the silver lining is that it makes kids want to sing, right? So, I mean, yeah. if you're a little kid and you're watching American Idol, now is that is it as cool as, you know, back in the day you got in a band and you played four or five shows a week? And, you know, no, of course not. But, like, you know, but to, I think it's great that it's keeping people interested in music, you know, um, sure. and keep keeping kids interested in it. So I... Uh, I try to look at the positive side with all that stuff, including those shred compilations. I think that that's, you know, it's great that there's a scene, there's a community there. There is. Yeah. And you're right. A lot of those, those, uh, those young guitarists, they have a lot of followers on their YouTube channels. Uh, and, and they're very, uh, they're very supportive of each other. You know, um, I think that the shred compilation, um, you know, is evidence of that and the fact that it's for charity and you get to see a lot of different styles. Um, all and, and what I liked about listening to it is there's a lot of variety. Maybe it's just a sensibility of my own, but there's a you do you do I believe you do have this ability to to uh, use the technique in service of like a, a, a musicality inside inside the music. Um, and that, this is one of the reasons I also wanted to have you on the show is because anything I can do from my corner to try and uh, draw people to it, I think um, I want to do. So the. Um, the parting question is, what's next for you, man? Um, I mean, obviously, we had to wait for COVID to find out about touring, but uh, can you talk to us about, I mean, there, there's so many projects that got announced. You're working with Michael Sweet and Nathan James. There's a bunch of things. Is there any of that stuff you can talk to us about that's coming up? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're at the point with that project right there that I'm probably going to track the guitars fairly soon. So that's coming up for me. Uh, I seem to always have, like, uh, oh a set amount of sessions that I need to do, you know, uh, like I, right now I have four songs waiting that I have to play on. And, and that's in addition to my teaching week. And I said, you know, my typical week is t uh, teaching, which are 30 stu 32 students a week right now, sessions and cameos. That's pretty much like my work week right now. You know, I'm like a day job guy with that and, uh, go after it, but, um, and then get the other stuff done as well. But I, it's just work hard, man. And then see all this, where it all takes us. Right. So, I mean, I'd love to, it'd be really great to, um, get back out there with TSO this November, December. My fingers are, are cemented crossed for that to be able to get back out there and then to, uh, get back out there with white snake, obviously it would be amazing. Um, but regardless, 
uh, it's just to work hard, man, and keep doing, you know, whether it's more of these collaboration videos uh, with people or uh, writing with people or playing on songs. I just always have musical projects every single day, something that's happening and something to move me forward. I mean, today I taught six lessons. I've been with my guitar six hours today and, and then do this, talk, talk with you. And so it's just the ability to feel like at the end of the day that, yeah, I, I was productive. You know, I can lay my head down on the pillow and go, all right, I didn't just lay around all day and do nothing. Well, that no one's ever going to accuse you of resting on your laurels. Um, there was a cool uh, song I saw you did with uh, Tony Harnell for something that's a project called Echo Bats, which is like this really cool, also different style of music. At least that song was the, the one that I, the video I saw. Um, you, there's a mention of some stuff you uh, you might do with Inglorious, um, work with Chris Caffrey. You you were on um, Mother's Rain, the Alter Rain record with a song called Mother's Day. Um, so you're you're a busy guy, uh, and I'm I'm glad you are. This, all of this music is is really really good. We'll we'll include some links so people can get to this stuff if they haven't heard about it. Cool, right on. Thank you. But uh, thank you, sir. It's been great talking to you. Um, I'll leave you to your evening. But um, all the best, man. Keep keep doing what you're doing. We yeah. Th thank you, man. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for all the kind words and uh, have a nice night. Thanks for thinking of me and uh, I'll I'll catch you down the road. Hopefully we can hang backstage at one of our shows soon. <laughs> Someday you come through with White Snake. I'm I'll be there. Um, I, I, well, I'm on the West Coast, so I don't, you don't come out here with TSO. Okay, yeah. Some, yeah. Someday I'll, we'll get to shake hands. and Backstage Whitesnake, dude. There you Book go. it. <laughs> All right, dude. Take All right, care. man. All right, dude. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Cheers.